Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. This is William Zelmer, a contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. I'm interviewing today the lead author of an AJHP paper entitled Rationale and Evidence for Extended Infusion of Piperacillin Tazobactam. The author is Dr. Scott Kaufman, who is Assistant Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, College of Pharmacy at the Northwest Campus in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He also serves as Clinical Coordinator, Department of Pharmacy, Mercy Medical Center at Rogers, Arkansas. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. Scott, you frame your paper in the context of antimicrobial stewardship, which, as I understand it, that's designed to maintain antimicrobial sensitivity by infectious organisms in the general population. Now, specifically, your paper is about appropriate dosing of piperacillin tazobactam. Could you comment on the connection between the dosing of that product and the concept of antimicrobial stewardship? Yes. uh, The two goals of antimicrobial stewardship basically are to optimize clinical outcomes and secondly, to reduce healthcare costs without adversely affecting quality of care. In the last 20 years or so, pharmacodynamic profiling of uh, anti-infectives has really made some great strides. It's optimized dosing based on the pharmacodynamics of the drug that has uh, led to the inclusion of uh, novel dosing mechanisms being mentioned in the the current guidelines of the uh, Infectious Disease Society of America. That's the connection uh, between those two. Could you maybe just take that a step further? What is it about uh, an appropriate dosing schedule that makes that connection with antimicrobial stewardship? Well, it's based on the principle of optimizing antimicrobial dosing uh, to match the pharmacodynamic characteristics of the drug. In this paper, where we're talking about piperacillin tazobactam, this drug follows a, a time-dependent pharmacodynamic, as do all beta-lactams, and that correlates with the percentage of time that the drug concentration remains above the MIC. By doing this, this maximizes the efficacy, theoretically, and the uh, pharmacodynamic profile of of the medication. The term you use in your paper for this process is extended infusion dosing. What exactly does that mean as applied to piperacillin tazobactam administration? The way we use the term in this paper, uh, extended infusion can be defined as just the intravenous infusion of the drug over a a longer period of time, and in our case, four hours, and that's pretty common duration of infusion over the traditional manufacturer-recommended infusion time of 30 minutes. So we take essentially a 50-milliliter bag of the medication and infuse it at 12.5 milliliters per hour to extend that over the four-hour period. You do a nice job in your paper of discussing theoretically why this is uh, advantageous for this product. Could you summarize that theory for us? 
yes. Different classes of antimicrobials have different pharmacodynamic properties. For example, aminoglycosides and fluoroquinolones have uh, what's called a concentration-dependent bactericidal activity, where the uh, higher the serum concentration, the greater the killing effect of the medication. For beta-lactams, such as uh, our drug, piperacillin tazobactam, the dose-dependent relationship is a time-dependent rather than a concentration-dependent one. The bactericidal activity of the drug is dependent upon the time that the free concentration of the drug remains above the minimum inhibitory concentration, or the MIC, during the dosing interval. So bottom line is that for drugs in this class, uh, the pharmacodynamic parameter, it is the, the best parameter that correlates with optimal activity of the medication. Okay. So that's the theory. What can you say about the clinical evidence and the strength of that evidence? Well, I think that's where uh, much of the controversy enters in because there are two pillars, really, that uphold the um, concept. One of them is the pharmacodynamic evidence, of which we have an abundant amount of evidence, uh, especially over the last 20 years or so, as to how the medication uh, works uh, from a pharmacodynamic standpoint. That evidence is very strong. Where the evidence is lacking is in the clinical evidence area. So, in short, there's a paucity of large-scale, well-controlled clinical trials out there. Uh, There are some smaller trials which demonstrate superiority uh, or uh, seem to indicate such. But what we mentioned in the paper is that there is a need for larger-scale and well-controlled clinical trials. And that's, that's where some of the controversy enters in because of the fact that many clinicians only look at least in most cases, it's okay to do that, are looking at just the clinical trials rather than the pharmacodynamic evidence, which also underlies this uh, novel dosing strategy. Scott, given what you've said about the lack of definitive clinical evidence about the uh, efficacy of extended infusion dosing, are you aware of any studies that are in the works that might address this? Perhaps studies by the brand name manufacturer or now since it's a generic product by other companies or by academic institutions that might give us the definitive answer? Uh, yes, Bill. In the process of um, preparing and writing this paper, I did come across uh, an individual uh, who is involved with a, a large-scale clinical trial, which involves m- numerous hospitals across the country. The person that I spoke with is from a large uh, university in Southern California, and their facility conjunction with other facilities across the country are uh, conducting a a large-scale clinical trial to determine the efficacy and the cost differences uh, between standard infusion of piperacillin tazobactam and extended infusion. So I think uh, time will tell as to what these uh, institutions find, but I do think if, if this study is as large as it seems to be that it will fill a big uh, need uh, with regard to uh, clinical trials uh, on this particular uh, subject. I'm curious, since this concept applies to other beta-lactam antibiotics, why did you write only about piperacillin tazobactam in this paper? We could have written about others, as you know, this technique has been used for other uh, anti-infectives such as cephalosporins, um, like cefepime or uh, carbapenem, such as meropenem. Uh, we chose piperacillin tazobactam uh, because uh, 
appears to be the one that's most widely studied or certainly one of the most widely studied uh, beta-lactams uh, for this dosing strategy. It has a broad spectrum with a lot of utility uh, in our particular health system. So we took the evidence that was out there and uh, implemented it specifically for that medication. We may expand that to other medications in the future, but right now that was the best option for us based on uh, the evidence that was available to us. Can you give us a sense of when this approach of uh, extended infusion dosing uh, for this product began to gain prominence? I'm interested in this because, as you already pointed out, the FDA-approved labeling for Piperacil and Tazobactam recommends infusion over a 30-minute period. Had not the extended infusion approach to dosing been under consideration when the clinical trials were done on that product? Well, that's a good question because as early as the 1940s, they were using some of these novel dosing strategies, either with prolonged or continuous infusion of antibiotics. An example, uh, this was published in the New England Journal in, uh, in the 1946, where uh, penicillin was used, uh, or actually it was, I think it was continuous infusion, penicillin was used to treat bacterial endocarditis. But the real evidence has not, uh, as far as the pharmacodynamic evidence, has not really started to mount until about the last 20 years or so. The FDA's labeling is no doubt based on studies that were conducted using the standard 30-minute infusion of the medication. We had the clinical trials at the time. I think probably, at least if the evidence had borne it out, that it would have been included in the package uh, manufacturer's insert but that just wasn't the case at the time. That could change in the future, perhaps. Now, you say in the paper that uh, your hospital, Mercy Medical Center in Rogers, Arkansas, uses this approach to dosing uh, piperacillin, tazobactam. What can you say about the practical results at your institution in terms of patient outcomes, in terms of uh, the per-patient expenditures for this product? Okay. Well, we implemented our program really only relatively recently, uh, which was in May of 2009. And uh, we only recently have uh, two full years worth of data that we uh, are currently in the process of analyzing. It takes time to sort out that data just because of the um, various factors that can influence the results. So we have to be very careful in how we analyze that data to make sure the results that we get are actually measuring the parameters, both the outcome parameters and the cost parameters that we're looking to see with regard to whether we're achieving or this this novel dosing strategy is achieving what we wanted. Uh, However, I can say that from a purely anecdotal standpoint, uh, in our first year, from a cost perspective, we found a a 20% reduction uh, in our uh, expenditures for piperacillin and tazobactam over that time period. Now, again, that uh, data needs to be sorted out for uh, confounding factors to make sure that, you know, those savings are truly can be uh, counted for by the, the new dosing strategy, but, uh, but that's going to take some time. Okay. Well, thank you, Scott, for taking time to uh, comment on your paper. Uh, coming up in a, an issue of AJHP, the manuscript is entitled Rationale and Evidence for Extended Infusion of Piperacillin Tazobactam. This is William Zelmer, AJHP Contributing Editor, and I've been speaking with the lead author of this paper, Dr. Scott Kaufman.
who is associated with the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences College of Pharmacy and Mercy Medical Center in Arkansas. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.